We thought you might like to know about an organization that is helping young women, specifically Latina women, get into the field of welding. Traditionally a male-dominated space, Consuelo Lockhart has created the Latinas Welding Guild, a 501c3 nonprofit organization here in Indianapolis that offers welding training and job placement for marginalized groups and partners with local community organizations. So stay tuned. We talk a little bit about what it's like to work in that male-dominated space while also thriving as a woman and her idea behind this organization. So stay tuned here on We Thought You Might Like to Know. Consuelo Lockhart, founder and executive director of Latinas Welding Guild. Thanks so much for joining me. Tell me a little bit about the organization. Uh, So we are a local nonprofit based out of Indianapolis, and we are focusing on providing barrier-free education for women who want to weld. All right, that's very simple. Uh, Now, I worked on construction sites for 15 years. I didn't see a lot of women, so I'm guessing that is is part of what sparked the idea. How how did you personally get involved in welding? Let's start there. Um, So um, I was born in Guatemala, um, and I was adopted at the age of three. Um, and grew up in Northern Michigan. And so I was using art as my way of communication. Um, and so basically all my life, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to travel the world and make art and all of that. Um, and so I ended up going to college um, in Grand Rapids at Kendall College of Art and Design. I graduated with a BFA in functional art. And when I was in that program, I had a project that was requiring me to try new material. And because I never heard about welding or ever got the opportunity to learn how to weld, my professor was really encouraging me to just try some welding. And so I was just like, well, uh, I've never done it. I'm more than willing to try. And so I did it and just really loved how forgiving steel was compared to wood. Um, And so after I graduated, you know, Um, I got done and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my art degree. I have all the possibilities, but don't know where to start. And so I started looking at what other career paths might be um, kind of like a a good fit to build on top of my art degree. And welding was, um, you know, it's it's in huge demand right now. Um, Everyone's trying to get more talent into the industry. And so I was able to qualify for a grant and then decided to go back to school And so I was just really jumping into it, hoping that it was going to lead me somewhere. I just didn't know where. So So is there a welding school? Like when you went back for a degree, what what was different between your art degree and the degree that you pursued then? So where I went to school was Grand Rapids Community College. So there was a vocational kind of like a small trade school. So it had uh, automotive, construction, welding, um, and I think they had nursing there. And so um, it was completely different kind of school setting. Um, it was, I mean, it was kind of close to what I was um, used to at art school. Like we had an art studio or like, you know, a shop, metal shop um, with equipment, machines. And then our classroom space was just like kind of your standard uh, classroom. Um, but the the way that um, that I was learning was a slightly, a little bit more different. You know, the instructor was... Um, kind of letting us be more self-paced. So depending on how eager and how how we were learning, we could just basically continue learning as much as we could throughout the class and get through the whole curriculum. So I was one of two students who finished early. So it was an 18-week job 
job training program. And I think I finished probably in like nine weeks just because I was just like super like, okay, I got to learn this. I got to get through it. Um, and then the school even offered me an opportunity to do, um, an art piece for a welding competition or art competition that was happening in Grand Rapids. So I had all these opportunities coming in. Um, and then I even was hired out of the program before I was even done by a local manufacturing facility who was looking for, for welders. And so I got the job. Um, so yeah, it was definitely like, I think it was a different experience for me versus some of the other students that were in the class with me. Yeah, for sure. Because you probably had some experience and you also had that artistic uh, background. So talk about being a woman in the industry. I mean, were those classes, did you walk in and everybody's like, wait a minute, uh, you know, or construction sites, like, yeah. where did where did it start to develop for you? Like, wow, there needs to be more women in, the, in this particular trade. Mm hmm. Uh, well, when I was going to Kendall, I was uh, one of very few women in the functional and sculpture program. Um, so I think just trying to get into woodworking, I was already kind of facing some similar discrimination just because, you know, I'm walking into like, um, not necessarily woodcraft, but something similar or, um, you know, I was trying to find lumber. I kind of just always felt like no matter what space I was in, I was always kind of annoying somebody because I was asking all these questions. But, you know, for me, I'm like, hey, if I if I didn't care to learn, I wouldn't ask the question. Um, and so I honestly had no idea what I would be walking into when I was joining the welding program at the community college. Um, I, I guess maybe I didn't even really think about will there be other women in my classes? Um, and then even during orientation, one of the admin at the school was like, oh my gosh, you're, you're going into welding. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh my gosh, it's like that movie flash dance. And I'm like, I, I guess, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but okay. Um, not an exotic dancer, but yes, going into welding. Um, and so, you know, just being the only woman in my class, um, it was very intimidating and a little bit overwhelming because, you know, I'm, I'm in the classroom with like, you know, 20, 30 other men. And so I felt very like unsure. I had imposter syndrome, I would say like, you know, I'm like, how, how am I supposed to learn this? Like, I think I just kind of assumed, oh, because there's men in the class that are going to automatically like it's inherent, they're going to naturally understand, they're going to get all the technical um, terms and, and all of that. And so usually how we started was we would be um, reading a certain chapter or watching a video and then you would do your workbook. Um, and as soon as you're done with your workbook, you could go out into the uh, welding shop. And so I just kept watching all of these men every, every class period, they would rush out to the lab and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm like, didn't want to be the last one. So I'm like hurrying up and trying to get through it. But um, you know, I just, I, I think in those moments, I was just like, man, I wish that there were other women. So I could see like, are they also struggling or is it just me? Um, and then, you know, I just, I think because of that experience, just uh, how other students were kind of engaging with me. And then when I landed that job as well, I was the only woman on uh, staff in that, in the welding department. And so just constantly having uh, people staring at me, like watching what I was doing, seeing if I would, if I could do it uh, correctly or well. Um, yeah, it, it just kind of got annoying, but I also understood like 
okay, now I know why there aren't a lot of women here because it's super intimidating. Yeah. I don't know if this is just maybe my perception, but you know, I think of the media conversation around female equality within the workplace. It always sort of tends to be in like a white collar setting. Yeah. Um, It doesn't seem to be in the blue collar sector or the trades, uh, and I don't know, maybe you have a perspective on that because it, it seems that that conversation's lost to do people just kind of wash their hands and go, look, a construction site's going to be 99% men and there's not really much effort that needs to be made and even discussing kind of your story and what you went through there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think every, every group, every company is, and industry is different. Um, I mean, you know, 95% of the welders in the welding industry are men. Um, I think about 30% of all welders are um, either uh, BIPOC or women. So obviously there's not a huge uh, representation in the in the big population, but I think everybody likes to think that they're doing things the right way. Um, you know, I think some people have also just assumed, oh, there are not a lot of women because uh, women aren't interested, um, which, you know, I don't think is true. Um, I think there would be more women in the industry if it was, you know, socially acceptable, depending on the culture, there could be a cultural barrier as well. Um, social economic, um, I think there are a lot of barriers that people don't necessarily think about, but also I think as women, it's cause like I I've taught, um, at Ivy Tech before as an adjunct welding instructor. I've taught at a local high school. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've seen how different groups um, kind of jump in. I think women are more um, intentional with how they're learning. So like, I, I know that I've even been um, in the same spot where I'm like, I want to learn as much as I can to prepare myself. Whereas like, I think men are more willing to just jump in and try like that them they don't see that as like oh i'm gonna fail they're just like no i'm doing i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing and i'm gonna just be all in right so it's it's definitely i think there's different dynamics that way and then obviously that trickles out into uh the industry and everything so when did you come up with the idea for latina's welding guild um so um i was going to uh through that welding program in um i think it was the spring of 2013. Um, so when I was going through that experience, you know, I kind of was just like, I've always wanted, um, to do something in Guatemala, whether that's like starting up a business, um, or doing something with art, reconnecting with my biological family, my, my heritage and my roots and everything. Um, but I think it was just like one day I was like, you know, thinking back on all my work experience, I've never had the opportunity to work alongside another Latina or a Guatemalan. Um, And so I'm like, well, I know women in Guatemala um, don't really have that many options for a career. Um, You know, I think if, uh, if I was still living in Guatemala and I, I never was adopted, I'd probably be um, a mom, uh, probably a very young mom. And so you know, I, I know that the opportunity coming to the States really gave me a, a whole new chance at life. And so I think that's kind of where I was like, if, if other women, other Guatemalan women, other Latinas um, knew that they could do, do this, then maybe they would try. Um, 
But I just thought it would be amazing just to be like, hey, I'm working alongside other Latinas and I never had the opportunity before. Um, so I think that was definitely something that fueled that that uh, initial idea. And I was like, how do I start a school in Guatemala? I didn't know how to do that. So I'm like, well, I guess I got to start somewhere over here and then kind of figure it out. So. Okay. So when did, when did you start it? And what did you start with a class? So, so why don't I, maybe this is a good time for you to say when you started it, but then also like, what is the organization now? Yeah. So in October, 2017, I launched, um, or I guess I was piloting, uh, this idea. I wasn't sure, you know, what, what do I want this entity or, or program to look like? Um, I just knew that we started getting more interest from other groups um, to donate. And they're like, you know, we can't donate unless you're a nonprofit or you have some sort of business entity. So that's when I started reaching out to um, an attorney that I had been working with through the makerspace that I was managing and everything at the time. And so I asked her, like, I'm like, I've never thought about what type of entity or where this might go. And so I kind of explained my idea, my hopes, my thoughts. And so um, it just turned out to be a nonprofit. And I have had zero nonprofit experience up until uh, I launched this. So I've definitely been learning a lot. Um, And so I think initially I was like, oh, we'll just have classes, but I never thought about, okay, once they go through the class or the program, what's, what's the next step? Where do, where do they go? Um, or what's, what's the main objective of a class? Um, you can get welding certifications, but, and I was kind of going back and forth, like how important is the certification? Um, being a nonprofit, obviously we need to have some sort of, um, way to, um, either collect data or we need to have some sort of metrics. So certification just kind of seemed like it was the best credential that we could have and and apply for grants and get other funding and opportunities. So um, certification just kind of became a part of it. Um, And so I was running the organization for the first, I think, three years part time. And then over the last couple of years during the pandemic, I started really thinking about it more as a full time opportunity. And then last year was the first year that um, I was able to uh, bring myself on as a paid and salaried employee, which was a huge step. And I felt a lot of guilt for that. But um, overall, like, you know, now I have three full-time employees and I have six contracted employees. So it's definitely become a larger uh, organization than I had originally planned. So we're doing women's courses, custom fabrication. We do public workshops that are project-based. So anybody who's over the age of 18 can come in and just learn how to weld up. Uh, We've done fire pits or any other project that we're doing. Um, And then we're continuously growing and we see a lot more interest and demand for um, co-ed adult classes and, um, you know, welding education training um, at local high schools and stuff like that. Now, when you say class, is it like a eight week intensive class or is it like, you know, like the, um, the couples classes where you go and paint, paint and drink wine. Like, you know, like what, what's the intensity here that we're talking yeah. about? So the women's courses are 10 weeks long. Um, so it's once a week, just because we know we have a lot of moms who have hectic schedules. So we try to make it, um, not as stressful for them. Um, and so at the end of the 10 weeks, though, so basically they're spending their whole time with us preparing for the certification test. So at the end of the 10 weeks, then they'll go, they'll take the test. 
Um, if they pass, they'll get a little uh, AWS uh, cert certification card, which then they can take to a job. And that's proof that they went through the training, they got certified, all of that. And it's just to help them get their foot in the door. Um, now the public workshops are more at a level where it's more of a social setting. So um, there's no prerequisites for our women's courses or for the public workshops. But for the folks who are like, hey, I just want to try welding. I don't want to start a career in it. I just like I've heard about it. I just want to do this one thing. Um, then they'll pay a small price for the ticket. Um, and then we've done our welding then drinking series. So after we're done welding, we'll go to a local distillery or brewery. Um, and that's where we'll actually look at their production and we'll be like, oh, there's some welds and this is why. And, you know, we'll kind of talk about how welding is relevant in all parts of, of your everyday life. Welding then drinking an important step. You must follow that. It's not the, yes. it's not the eighties anymore. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you, why did you feel guilt about coming on and, and starting an organization and, and taking a salary after creating this? Um, you know, I think in my mind, I was just thinking if we have money to invest in the organization, we should put it towards like equipment, things that um, students and, and other contracted staff could use. Um, I think, uh, unfortunately, sometimes as business owners, we always feel like we should come last. Um, but I also like had to keep in mind that in order for us to continue to grow, get more funding, more support, I have to like be able to show that we can handle us an executive director salary. And, um, you know, and just even knowing other nonprofits and everything, you know, that is one big thing that a lot of donors are starting to be a little bit more open about is that they are concerned if an, an executive executive director is not paying themselves. Like they see that as like the organization is not truly um, as healthy as like, you know, they should be. So. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read a study and I've been a part of a bunch of different nonprofits over the years. And like the study that I read like 15 years ago, four people do everything in any nonprofit of any size. And, mm -hmm. you know, if the person who started it and isn't isn't driving it, I'm sure it's it's very difficult. You know, it's hard to do the Chris Spangle yeah. show if the Chris Spangle isn't uh, if Chris Spangle, not the Chris Spangle, goodness, <laughs> uh, isn't involved in actually doing it, um, which, yeah. is, which has happened sometimes. But. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about some of those barriers. So once somebody goes through a class and they have certification, is it easy for them to get hired? Like is the, I, I, and maybe I should ask, like, are they going to construction jobs? Is that the next thing or what are the different paths out of it? And then are there barriers once they actually get out of those classes? Um, so, you know, when we, um, when we're recruiting for our classes, those are some basic questions we'll ask, like, you know, what is it that you want to do with welding? Um, some people have had an idea of like where they want to go, like, hey, I really want to be uh, a mechanic, so I want to get into automotive, or I really want to get into aerospace, or I really want to learn how uh, to just do production or fabrication or get into structural um, or construction fields. So it's really just dependent on what they want to do. Um, over the last year, I've been working on trying to establish some more uh, relationships, intentional relationships with some local employers or other welding or construction related organizations, um, just because we want to make sure that like any sort of 
employer that we potentially refer students to that they have a healthy, safe work environment. Um, just because the last thing we want to do is just have um, a student go to a company, get um, severely underpaid or mistreated, not have the structure that they need to to continue to develop, um, and then just completely quit their job and, and leave the field altogether. So our goal is to make sure that women who are getting into the industry are looking at um, you know, developing a long-term, uh, you know, career, um, and working with companies long-term. Um, so we're still working through some of that. Like right now we do have a handful of employers that, you know, I would be willing to endorse or at least refer our students to, um, just because there are so many jobs and there's so many companies that are looking for talent, but, I think <clears throat> at this point, some companies are just not necessarily ready for women. There are a lot of things that basic things that maybe companies haven't either thought about, like, for example, uh, women's restroom. Sometimes there have been companies that have men's and women's restrooms, but because they don't have women on staff, men go and use the, the women's bathroom. And obviously, women need to have a safe space to use a restroom. Um, if someone is pumping, do they have a space to safely pump? Um, and so those are just some basic things. But also, like, if there is harassment, do they have a harassment policy? Um, what are the steps to maybe address those types of uh, inappropriate behaviors, concerns, and things like that? Do they have HR? Um, you know, some companies may not have an HR. They may be so uh, short-staffed or just have, be a very small company in size that maybe the owner is the HR in the uh, accounting and the marketing and the branding and all of that. And so we really just want to make sure that like any sort of discrimination or issue that they have, they're being supported and they can self-advocate. Um, and if they can't, then that's kind of where we try to help um, either connect them with resources or we're at the table with them during those um, situations. But the goal is that, you know, we have a good network of employers. They go, they do a job interview, they get a job, and then they continue to develop themselves as a welder. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's there's thousands and thousands of jobs. I believe there's maybe, uh, I want maybe I'm getting the number wrong, but I want to say I, I thought I read that there's about 40,000 jobs uh, in Indiana that are open for welders. I know there's going to be over 150,000 welders that are retiring here soon. And we have a couple hundred thousand jobs across the country that are just companies are just dying for, for talent right now. That's so a, that's an amazing statistic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, so, I'm, go ahead. Finish your thought, please. And then uh, I believe the pay discrepancy between men and women is about 28 percent huh. i believe i'm really glad you addressed that because i mean i hate to go back to construction sites but that's my frame of reference i know that you having gone and, and and been a cleaner you sort of go to some of these small shops and you're around some of the smaller shops and then you're also around the big sites with the big construction companies so i've, mm -hmm. I've, I've kind of seen that range of of exactly what you're talking about i've also been on construction sites and in those offices when a female contractor comes in and then leaves um, and the discussion around the female contractor. I mean, uh, it's uncouth is uh, this is a family program, uh, you know, so I think that that's I would think would be a barrier to entry as a woman. I just wouldn't want to, to deal with it. Uh, yeah. 
you know, what have you seen it now? I haven't been around in 10 years on some of these sites. It's approaching a decade. Has it changed? Have you been able to maybe locally help shift some of that conversation? Maybe see some of these employers uh, see some of the the issues and, and make them changes. Like, do you have examples where, look, this has just gotten better because of our existence and our working within the community and making change? Um, so I think the change might be still kind of hard to see, but I, I mean, I know over the last year, I was talking about a handful of employers, like we've had some employers that are acknowledging like, Hey, we know we could be doing better and we want to get more women, but we want to get more diversity into the workplace, but we just don't know where to start or how to do it. So I think that right there has been a huge step, especially for like these larger organizations and some of them who are well known in the city. Um, but for them to acknowledge that they're willing to learn and they're willing to come to the table and they're willing to put in time and even speak to our students and let our students in, in, you know engage with them in our own facility, I think has been a really big step um, in some ways. Now, not everything is perfect, but you know, long term, we would love to be a part of that change. We would love to be able to go to the table and like provide some insight or some suggestions on how things could be handled a little bit better. And in response to a lot of the mistreatment um, of not just our women, but other diverse welders across the country, we were looking at, uh, we developed an equitable employment program. So that is really to help bridge the gap between employer and employee. So the best place for us to start was our job readiness program. So how are we preparing our students for the real world? So we have had, um, you know, sessions, like about three hour sessions, um, where we've had some advisors that we, so we basically built this uh, group of advisors who um, work in the industry, or they're community focused, or they have some insight on like, either human rights, civil rights, um, so some big players who are coming and helping to educate our students. So like, you know, knowing uh, equal pay, understanding what red flags um, may come up in an interview. We've done mock interviews. We'll focus on soft skills and hard skills. Um, but for the most part, we just want them to be self-advocating that they understand what is right and what is wrong um, when it comes to um, a career. And then um, if they need the help, then we're, we're definitely there for them and everything. Um, but, you know, we just want them to feel independent and confident when they're going out. Um, but then we're still working on the other side of like trying to figure out how to best um, engage with employers. Um, but really, it's all about intentional relationships. Um, and, you know, we, we would love to have those relationships so we can continue to just fill that pipeline of, uh, of new women and everything. But over the last couple of years, we have seen, um, we've helped place over a dozen women into jobs. And I think about maybe 95% of the women that we've helped place um, did face some form of harassment. Um, and so we, we have had a couple of women completely quit the industry altogether just because of some, um, some bad treatment that they had gotten. So Yeah, that's unfortunate. I, I love. I'm I'm a history nerd, so guilds. You're doing exactly what guilds have traditionally done. You know, training mm -hmm. 
indoctrinating people with the industry standards, telling them here's the ropes, and then being an advocate for people, you know, within the industry, specifically, you know, marginalized employees, you know, whether it be against other employees or against management. I just think it's it's a tremendous idea. So how can people get involved? You you train only Latina women, only women? What what you know, if I wanted to get involved or, or if I were a woman, uh, then how would I go about contacting you? I guess uh, shameless self-promotion time, please. Mm-hmm. Um, so we uh, we do have an application process on our website. So um, that's where people can make donations. They can learn a little bit more about what we're doing, um, our impact, who's on our board and everything else. We're big on social media. Um, so we're on Instagram and everything. So, um, you know, obviously we would love people to follow and help spread our mission. Um, but for, for women who fit the criteria for women's courses, they can apply online. We have just recently started offering some co-ed boot camps. So that's open to all adults 18 and over. No uh, experience required for either of those uh, pathways. And then um, if you're just a curious mind who wants to try some welding, then when we do have uh, our public workshops, then obviously that's open to any adult over the age of 18. Um, and that's just more of a social and, and fun thing. So um, our contact info is on there. So any questions or any concerns or anything can certainly reach out. So. All right. You'll find that link in the show notes. Consuelo Lockhart, founder and executive director of the Latinas Welding Guild. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you, listener, for joining me here on the program. We greatly appreciate it.